Okay, all the Gen Zs are so confused right now. How many of y'all saw that when it first came out? Yeah, um, it was, it's one of the, it's the top most iconic ad ever. It came out 40 years ago this weekend. Super Bowl Sunday was the premiere of this ad. Come see why Apple can liberate you. And this, by the way, touches on some deep Western ethic, liberation, freedom, don't be enslaved. Now, what's interesting is that is kind of a historical and global oddity, that this is a preeminent value to be free, to not let anybody tell us what to do. Uh, That's only in countries that have a Jewish Christian background. It came from the story of the Exodus and from stories that Jesus told. And divorced from those stories, our attempts for freedom don't lead to freedom. They actually lead us back to slavery. After all, would anybody like to argue 40 years later that Apple is the great liberator? Or does that commercial age poorly to anybody else? Do people look a lot like the people in those ads that we were supposed to be liberated from being. Except now you're just watching something on a Mac screen. Do you feel like you haven't conformed to everybody else when you pull out your iPhone in a crowd? Or do you look just like everyone else? Because ideas have consequences. And there is often a gap between the idea... And the consequence. So Carl Jung, who's a famous psychologist whose ideas have permeated society, even if you don't know who Carl Jung is, you have been affected by his ideas and works. Uh, Towards the end of his life, he put out, of all things, a picture book. And it was pictures showing his ideas. And one of the pictures he had in that book was this. A picture of Adolf Hitler with the quote... This man is going to set all Europe ablaze with his incendiary dreams of world domination. And you read that quote and you're like, yeah, that's what happened. Hitler set the world on fire by trying to take over. Except Carl Jung says, that's a quote not about Hitler, but by Hitler, about Winston Churchill. And Carl Jung says, this is an example of what he calls projection. When you accuse someone else of something you are actually doing in that moment. And he gives us as an example of the way lies can spread through society. Today we're going to talk about lies and truth and how hard it is to tell the difference. You want to hear something fascinating? It's sad, but fascinating. You want to know how to get a human being, any human being, no matter how smart, to believe something. They just got to hear it over and over again. It's actually a glitch in our human psychology. That if we hear something enough, we start to believe it's true. And the reason we start to believe it's true is because we only use 10% of our brains. Except we don't actually use 10% of our brains. That's just a myth. And the reason you believe it is because you've heard it so many times. I want to talk today about the lies we believe and sometimes lies we tell. And who Jesus says is the source of all those lies. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 8. Last week we saw Jesus forgive this woman who's caught in adultery, publicly shamed, and Jesus takes her place. He is going to be the one who is executed, not her. 
And right after that, he stands up and starts talking about how he is the light of the world, which is more than you put on your resume. <clears throat> and the Jewish religious leaders are offended by this. They're like, who do you think you are? And Jesus says, I am sent by my father. And they're like, well, who's your father? And Jesus says, you don't know me or my father. And then he starts talking in veiled language about how he's going to be killed, specifically how he's going to be killed on the cross and how anyone who believes in me and the way I die will be saved. And even in that moment, even while Jesus is talking, people begin to believe and are saved. And this is what happens in John chapter 8. Starting in verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the religious leaders answered Him, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in my Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you're Abraham's descendants, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, If God was your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Did you catch that? We are not illegitimate children. Now, you read that because it's in the Bible and you think, oh, that's just further in the conversation. No, they are bringing up the rumor that Jesus lived under his whole life, that his mother, he was born out of wedlock, that he was the word that we call kids who were born out of wedlock. Yeah, Jesus, I know the, the way you're trying to spin this story, but look, you got here the good old-fashioned way and there was nothing noble about it. They're bringing up his shame or trying to bring up what should shame him, they think. And did you hear what Jesus says in verse 32? You, you hear that because you grew up in church probably or Christianity or adjacent to Christianity and you think that's a normal thing. But it rings like a bell throughout all of Christian history. You shall know the truth and the truth shall what? If you don't try to kill him. If you have arms, hearts to hear, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You can be free, free from sin, free from slavery, free from law, free from death, free from injustice, free from tyranny. And this is needed today more than ever or just as much as ever. I mean, think about the way the world works. Tyranny and slavery go hand in hand. Half truths and cover ups, freedom and truth go hand in hand. And Jesus is offering freedom. And ironically, the religious leaders don't want it. Because they think they know what kind of freedom they need. They want freedom for Rome. That's what all Israel is waiting for. Because Rome is oppressing them, taxing them too heavily. That's what they're hoping God will do. And Jesus comes preaching a freedom they very much need, but very much aren't wanting. And they say... How dare you? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves. 
And Jesus says, you're confusing two kinds of family membership. Children of Abraham and children of God. Jesus and the early Christians throughout the New Testament repeatedly make this point. God chose the Israelites, Israel, to be the people of God, to be the light of the world. But over and over again, what they found was that the darkness they were supposed to bear witness to was also in them. That's why Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. And by the way, I hope you can see what this means today. It mean, it doesn't mean, it, just because you're a nominal church member in a Christian church doesn't mean we're automatically in God's favor. You can be in slavery even in a church. And Jesus says, hold to my teachings and the truth will set you free. And then in verse 43, he goes on to say, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, not Abraham, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And the Jews answered him and said, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And I want you to see, even that was a half-truth. Even, even their accusation was a lie. Aren't, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And Jesus doesn't cooperate with their racism. Did you see this? Instead, he responds, I'm not demon-possessed. Because he could have responded to their claim, I'm not a Samaritan. But he's not going to cooperate with their racism. So he just says, I'm not demon-possessed. Now, here's what I want you to see. In the West, we tend to think of Jesus as this like nice, sweet guy who goes around kissing babies and talking about consider the birds and all those kind of things. We don't know what to do with this Jesus. It's like, where are your manners, Jesus? But... Jesus is facing a mob here. They're about to lynch him. They've already tried to kill him earlier and they're going to try at the end of this chapter to kill him again. This is no gentle, civilized discussion of religious truth. This is a man with a lynching mob set on him and he's bravely standing against them, speaking against their hypocrisy. And then he starts talking about the devil. Now in all four of the Gospels, all four of the stories of Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the devil, but it's not the way we would think he would talk about it. He doesn't talk so much about demon possessions and exorcisms, though he does those. When he talks about the devil, he talks about the devil is the father, the source of lies. I've told you each week as we go through the Gospel of John, I'm going to try to let you see the criticisms of the Christian faith. And this one is kind of hard to pick just one. Because we live in what philosophers call a post-truth era. We live in postmodern ethics. And just to describe that for you, here's what that means. If you can make it trend, you make it true. The past ten years have been really hard in America. Uh, we live in a post-truth world with alternative facts. And it didn't start with our politics. The New York Times chief book reviewer after the 2016 presidential election, she went on a kind of expose. It was kind of a leftist expose where she was trying to figure out what in the world happened. 
And at the end of her reporting, she said, I realized this did not start with our politics. This actually started in our universities. But before that, it started in French philosophy with guys like Foucault and Derrida. They spread the ideas of moral relativism deep into the bloodstream of America and through our universities. That's how all truth became relative, she said. But the Gospel of John says, truth isn't relative. He's a person. All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one sent from the Father, full of both grace and truth. That doesn't mean it's obvious. In the end of the Gospel, Pilate asked the question John wants us to ask. What is truth? And truth is staring him right in the face. What I want you to see in this this story, Jesus is actually referring to, alluding to, Genesis 3, the story of Satan coming at Eve and Adam. And I, I want to point out, Satan doesn't come at them with an M16 or a tank. He came at her with an idea, a lie. Satan is real, and the primary way Satan wins your heart is by making you believe a lie. And the devil's lies are not just you know, emotionally neutral, untrue facts. Like, hey, Elvis is still alive. No, it's not like that. It's lies that actually have appeal to you. Like, for example, you deserve to be happy. And let's face it, you haven't been happy in your marriage in years. Your wife, she's just not the right fit for you guys. You marry too young, before you were self-aware. And this marriage isn't what you hoped it would be. But if you were to leave her... I bet there's somebody out there who can make you really happy. What about this lie? It is not hurting anyone what I look at on the internet. Or what about this lie? My body, my choice. Or my money, my choice. Or I can quit any time. Or the Republicans do way worse. The Democrats do way worse. I don't, I can support my party no matter what. Satan has lied from the beginning and every lie has its source in him. And if you hear it today, it's 2024, I get it, I live in the same world you do. It sounds really far-fetched. So let me ask you a question. Do any secular versions of reality adequately explain the world to you? Specifically evil. You know, philosophically speaking, secular, secular reality has never been proven. It's as much a statement of faith as any other thing. What if our Western world is blind to a whole dimension of reality? What if uh, Jesus actually was brilliant and, and knows reality better than Stephen Hawkins or Sam Harris? There's a, a guy named Scott Peck who was a brilliant psychologist who didn't grow up in the faith. And when he was in his 40s, he became a Christian. And so all these ideas he had previously written off, he began to research and look into again. Like the devil. So in his 40s, he starts applying his brilliant mind and his formidable ability to do research to the question about evil. And first off, in the academy, that was really surprising. I mean, it seems to, it seems to us common sense that, you know, people, there are evil people in this world. I mean, we've read history. We know Hitler. We know others. The average person thinks, yeah. But to the scientific community, it was taboo. But his second point was really interesting. 
He said the way people become evil is through living, believing and living lies. And that's when it starts to come into focus. You know how Hitler convinced the German people, who, by the way, were a lot of Christians, they're a huge Lutheran population, the most advanced seminaries in history were in Germany in the 1930s. You know how he convinced them? He said the Jewish people weren't really human. And if they're not human, you can do whatever you want. And apparently if you say it enough, we'll believe anything. You know, Stalin and the atheist community, they believe that you know, atheistic communism... I'm sorry, atheist communist community. Um, Stalin and the atheist communism, they believe the best way to make humans flourish was communism without God. And if you've got to put a few million people in a concentration camp to make the world perfect, then you've got to do it. And we Westerners thought that taking away all the financial regulations and the sexual regulations from the past few, in the past few decades from hundreds of years of wisdom was stodgy. And those, those regulations were stodgy and oppressive. And yeah, divorce messes up kids' life, but you've got to be free to do you because the heart wants what the heart wants. How many of y'all have heard that saying or said that saying? You know where that came from? Woody Allen. In an interview with a journalist where he was describing why he had a very inappropriate relationship with his underage stepdaughter. And when she asked the journalist, Woody Allen said, the heart wants what the heart wants. I would not base my life ethics on Woody Allen. We all live lies. And they don't just hurt us, they change us. And if you do not do war with what tempts you, it will entrap you, enslave you, and it might even make you evil. Here's the thing about Genesis 3, the story Jesus is quoting. You know, the first people who read that story, who heard that story, would have read it differently than you do, if you grew up around Christianity. They would have said, because God said, they would have assumed that when that story happens, God is lying. And the serpent is telling the truth. Because God says to Adam and Eve, do not eat from this fruit or you will surely what? Die. And then they eat from the fruit. And what's the one thing that doesn't happen? They don't die. They get exiled from the garden. They realize they're naked, all that. Yeah, but they don't die. And it's not for years. Years go by and they have children and what... And decades later, one of their sons, Cain, rises up and kills his brother Abel. And that's when it dawns on them. There's a gap between the choice of what you choose to believe and the consequence of it. And they're the first couple, the first people in human history to realize history, the arrow of time only goes one way. And they'd give anything to have it back. But that's not how reality works. There is a gap between our choices and our consequences. And Dallas Willard said it rightly. Ideas are primarily a stronghold of evil in the human self and in society. And since there are so many lies, and since they're so easy to believe, how do we live free from lies? Which is another way of saying, how do we live free from slavery? In Christian history, in the 4th century, there was this monk named Evagrius Ponticus. 
And Evagrius wanted, he, he wanted to live like Jesus in a world where a lot of people said they were Christian, but nobody was really following Jesus well. Evagrius went out to the desert to fight the devil like you do. He actually said the reason he was doing it was because of Jesus' ministry and him going out into the wilderness. So he went out in the a wilderness to fight the devil and word started to get out back in Rome. Evagrius was winning the fight. And so people started coming to meet Evagrius and ask him questions. So many people came enough that he wrote a book. And you, it's a book you can still get, like on Amazon. It's called Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons, which is an awesome subtitle, I think. And you read it and you think it's going to be like some Harry Potter curses, you know. But it's not. You know what it is? It's... Over and over again, it's it's these little like sections that say, against the lie, speak this truth. And it's all scripture. Against this lie, against the lie of vanity or against the lie of gluttony or against a lie of lust, whatever it is. And it gives very specific examples. And then he says, speak this truth of scripture. And the reason he does it this way is because he realized everybody has thought patterns. And there are ways that we get tempted, ideas that sound attractive They're internal narratives. And for Evagrius, these weren't just thoughts. They were thoughts with a malignant will behind them. An animating force of evil. And because evil enters the world through us and our ideas. This is not how we tend to think, but I think it's very true. Your mind is a war zone. And you're under attack. And it is critical that you become aware of the fight because you cannot change things you do not confront. If you ignore the battle, you lose the battle. Apostle Paul made this clear. And this is a distinction for Christians. Christians do not have human enemies. If you follow Jesus, you do not have a human enemy. Here's the way Paul says it to a church he planted. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. Your your enemy is not your boss, your spouse, your child, your neighbor who's annoying you, or whatever. Satan is the enemy who in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way he's coming to do it is by getting you to believe lies. Just like Eve, just like Adam. So here's today's challenge, thoughtology. Number one, realize the battle for our life is won or lost in our minds. And number two, your thoughts will control you, so you have to control your thoughts. You know, that's possible by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. That really is possible. Paul talks about our ideas as strongholds. Satan has strongholds in our life. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we don't live in that world. But in the ancient world, in a city, there would be a stronghold, a fortress on a mighty hill. And around that stronghold, there would be like fortified walls that were like 20 feet thick. That's what people are thinking of when they think of strongholds. And Paul is saying, Satan has, don't let Satan get a stronghold in your life. The problem with strongholds is they become lies that are reinforced over and over and get bigger and stronger because we believed them so long. They became a part of us. And we think they're going to protect us. We think they're going to be impenetrable. And yet, they often become our prison and keep the truth unapproachable. Did you see what Jesus said to them? You can't hear my words. You can't... The walls you have built, my words can't get through. 
That's the, be- the best definition of truth I know of, of. The best definition of truth I know of is reality. Or that which corresponds to reality. And the best definition of reality I know of is that which you bump into when you're wrong. So ideas are assumptions about reality. But reality does not correspond with your fake ideas. So I can believe wholeheartedly that I can defy gravity. But if I walk off a 10-story building, reality is what I bump into three seconds later. Because that's the way reality works. In the same way, we, have, uh, we, we all have these mental maps of life. I mean, think about the mental maps you have for getting ready for school in the morning or getting ready to work or even just to get to church this morning. You have a mental map of I'll take this road, I'll, you know, I'll get dressed. You know, you know how life you think is supposed to work. We also have mental maps for all of our life. Maps for our money, our bodies, our relationships. And they're a collection of ideas. Ideas about reality. But reality does not conform to your illusions. Listen, here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity does not get its source of truth from the world around us. Which is why, like in, in America, in, in like uh, cities that are like permissive, Christians look conservative. But in places of tyranny, Christians look like re- rebels. Like in places like East Europe or uh, um, East Germany or Poland, the church was a place where the ideas of freedom from oppression could not be put out. Because this is the kind of freedom Jesus wants to give you that runs deeper than just do whatever you want. It's a true freedom. One of the world's myths that you're going to hear, you're probably going to hear it a lot tonight during ads and during the game. One of the world's myths is freedom is having no master but yourself. Jesus says that's silly. The source of freedom is having the right master. To quote the great theologian Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. And our myth says freedom is doing whatever you really want to do. Jesus says that's ridiculous. Freedom is doing what you're meant to do, what you're made to do. Listen, we know all of us know powerful people. It's on the newspaper every day throughout history. Powerful people who have all the money, all the power in the world, and they're in prison. They're in the grip of lust for, mon- lust for money, for vanity, for more power. They're controlled by their own ambitions or their own ego or their own pride. Jesus is talking about a deeper freedom than just getting what you want when you want it. He's talking about a freedom that feels like peace. That feels like being under control and full of joy and fulfillment and doing the things we most want to do. Jesus, over and over again in the Gospel of John, says, Pay attention to your desires. What do you want, he asked, over and over again. Because if you'll chase the sunbeam back to the sun, you'll see that all of the desires you have ultimately can only be satisfied in me. That's what he's saying. He's saying pay attention to your desires. For most of us, desire is a bit like cancer. Cancer is just normal cells replicating like crazy. So we have all these conflicting desires. So do you know what you really, really want? Like, for example, I'd like to live a long time. I'd like to walk our daughters down the aisle. Also, I really like butter. Like, I like butter on everything. I, I want to be fit and healthy. 
and I love Rocky Road ice cream. And those two things don't go well together. You're going to be told by a lot of ads tonight, freedom is doing what you really want to do. Well, what do I really want to do? Because my desires, when it goes against the reality of my body and the design of my body, it's not freedom. Or to take it deeper, last week we talked about the woman caught in adultery. I've been doing ministry for 21 years, and I've walked along a lot of people who have gone through that or are in that. And let me tell you, to a person, what it seems that they are feeling. Conflict. Conflicted desires. Because on one hand, they want to be the kind of person who keeps their vows. They want to be the kind of person who doesn't break their spouse's heart or their kid's heart. And then on the other hand, this person makes me feel so good. They make me feel alive, exhilarated about myself. There's two very different, very deep desires. So let's use the modern definition of freedom. Do whatever you want to do. Okay. Go ahead. Do it. You don't know what it is. Last week in the New York Post, Johnny Menzel, the notorious quarterback who was, you know, one of the first round draft picks for the Cleveland Browns, who just made a dumpster fire of his life. In an interview in the New York Post last week, Johnny Menzel said this. I had every single thing I could have ever wanted. I had money, fame. I'm a first-round draft pick battling for a starting quarterback position. And when I got everything I wanted, I think it was the most empty I've ever felt inside. Most of us don't know what we really want. And God forbid we get it. Jesus is trying to say, I can give you true freedom if you hold To my teachings. This means hold to it. Obedience means it's worth sticking with. It may take years of living it to find the freedom. But Jesus says eventually if you hold to it, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'd like to invite our prayer teams to take their places around the auditorium. Practically, here's the call of Jesus today. Choose carefully who or what you're going to listen to with your life. In other words, church, if you spend your week watching that cable news all day long, it is not a shock that you will become an angry, anxious, maybe even bitter person. If you spend your life, your nights watching everything Netflix has to offer, it's not going to be a shock when your desires become more conflicted and you start being bored with life. So here's the call of Jesus. Remain in Him. This week, spend some time listening to truth with a capital T. Meditate on the love of God and the story of Scripture. Spend some time letting God tell you the truth in prayer. And finally, listen to Jesus with a humble, obedient heart. I'm not better, you're not better than our parents, Adam and Eve. I am capable of being deceived and convinced only Jesus can be trusted with the truth. And I'm tired of living lies. I don't want to be a slave one more minute. So to the Pharaoh outside of us and inside of us, may we come to see only God is worthy of our worship. Only God can set us free. To the Pharaoh 
to the, all the conflicting desires we have, may you come to see only God is worthy of our lives and can satisfy us forever. May you come to see that He's going to deliver us in this life and the age to come to a promised land not of our own making, but the only one that can actually satisfy and give us what our hearts are hungry for. To the people of God, to you, you are no longer slaves of sin. We are slaves of God. We are slaves of righteousness because we have come to believe that is the only way we can truly be free. We have come to see there is a new world coming that isn't going to be like this one. A world that is full of the glory of God. Where justice runs down like water and righteousness like a mighty river. Where every valley is brought high and every mountain is brought low. There is a world breaking into this one that's not like the previous one. Where the glory of God is everywhere and there's no more sorrow or cancer or sickness or lies. And so we trust God in an unjust world because there is a perfect God with a perfect justice to come. We trust God because we recognize we were made in love, rescued and redeemed by love. And to love we came and to love we will return. We can live truly free at last. Thank God we are no longer slaves. Let's stand and worship. And if you want, go to these prayer times now.